Hello and welcome to another packed edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. Just to prove how on trend we are, we're going to talk today about China and clean energy. And by on trend, I mean in the news. We learned today from the International Energy Agency, no less, that solar power is now the cheapest electricity in history, apparently, being less expensive than coal and gas in most major countries. As for China, well, it's never really out of the news, is it, With the, whether it's a trade war or TikTok. And that is going to continue, I guess, for the next few weeks uh, as we run up to the U.S. presidential election. So I'm joined today, as ever, by co-host Angus Foote and our CityWire fund manager research experts, Nisha Long and Frank Talbot. So Nisha will run us through some newly rated clean energy managers in a minute. Uh, but first, let's hear from Frank on who we should be thinking about when it comes to choosing Chinese equities managers. Hi. Uh, yeah, so um, apart from tech, uh, one of the best performing parts of my pension year today has been the broad Asia-Pacific region, um, excluding Japan, that is. Returns have been much more resilient. Uh, and I've been a long-term backer of, of Stuart Investors Asia-Pacific leaders in the Asia-Pac, excluding Japan sector. And after a difficult period, they're back ahead of the benchmark over three years. So it's great to see David Gate and Sasha Reddy, um, Sasha Reddy picking up a rating and returning to some form. Um, difficult markets typically when, when these strategies do their best and their volatility in the category is, is second. Uh, so uh, they've done very well. But as you said, it's not Asia Pack I want to talk about, but, but Chinese equities. Um, Everyone's aware that tech has done well, but they might not be so aware. Chinese equities have been seriously strong. Year to date, the broad Chinese equity market, so that includes your A shares, H shares, P chips, and so on, uh, is double digit positive, as is the domestic A share market and uh, even the, the Greater China Golden Dragon Index, which includes Taiwan and Hong Kong listings of Chinese companies. Um, a lot of that is the performance of the BATs. But to say it's just that is, is missing the whole picture. It's been consumer staples. It's been discretionary. It's been healthcare, all doing the business. Uh, interestingly, staples hasn't done that well outside of China, um, mostly flat for the year, despite the sort of general resilience of the staples market. These are the things you turn to, or rather you can't do without in the downturn. So they're usually pretty stable, stable staples. Um, and, uh, Top of the pops here is the JP Morgan Chinese equity team. So JP Morgan have actually done better than any other active house in terms of accumulating flows in 2020. And China has been a big part of that. So the team led by Howard Wang and Rebecca Jiang have brought in more than 2 billion year to date uh, across the A-share broad Chinese equities and greater China mandates that they head up. 2 billion is is big money in a sector of this size uh you know all strategies are firing here the jpm china fund the jpm china a opportunities fund and the jpm greater china fund what's interesting is that despite running that many mandates and i haven't i haven't really mentioned all of them uh it's not a one-size-fits-all approach to each uh in their a share fund they're heavily overweight staples tech and healthcare at the expense of the, the state-controlled financials, which they're 12% underweight. Half of the allocation to financials is, is actually Pingang Insurance and Pingang Bank. I'm sure Angus might talk about Chinese insurance a bit later. Um, while in the, the, the broad China fund, 
uh, JPM China, that is, they're overweight, the A share market and the, the P chips. So P chips are Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong with headquarters typically in tax havens. Um, so in this, in this fund, you've got your Alibaba's, your Tencent's, um, with the latter access through a USADR. It, it's an interesting market. A shares have underperformed for a while, but you can see that they're definitely back in vogue. They're top of those three major indices in China. Uh, needless to say, though, investing in Chinese equities is very complicated uh, and no market has more nuances than China's. What's interesting, though, Frank, you started off talking about Asia Pacific or you mentioned Asia Pacific funds. And the argument that's been sort of raging amongst the allocators for a long time is, is do you go Asia Pacific equity or do you go China equity separately? So the comparison between those two, I think, is an interesting one. There are uh, Asia, broad Asia PAC managers with very high weightings to, to China. I think of Investex, Greg Cunard comes to mind, 45, 50% maybe. It, depending on um, the type of index you track, you could have as much as 75% in Chinese companies uh, within the broad Asia PAC region, that is. I think it's the, the Far East index has got something like 75% and might be inflating that slightly, but it's a large chunk. Whereas if you're in the Asia PAC X Japan index, that's a much more moderate sort of 50%. So you buy Asia PAC, you're pretty much buying Chinese equities, save for a few managers. I know I started with uh, First State Stewart. They're actually one of the, the, the houses that's quite underweight China, uh, favoring more Indian equity listings. Um, so um, yeah, do, do you go broad or do you go focused? As I said, it's, it's quite a small market in terms of AUM. I don't have it to hand. But there's always this chat about Asia as being massively underrepresented in global indices, and, and that will eventually change at some stage. And if you know you've got a sleeve dedicated to Chinese equities, then it stands to benefit from you know ETF flows alone. If if that does change, mm. you um, mentioned Chinese insurers. I guess what you're referring to there with Ping An was the news. I think came out a week or two weeks ago that they'd registered a Luxembourg umbrella and i think they're promoting four sub funds which were highly specialized one i think was an ai driven equity strategy uh, what, I, what i found really interesting about that was that for years in the asset management world on the business side we've been hearing about the potential for china as a market but people were also saying at the same time just wait till these huge chinese financial companies start selling products or promoting strategies outside of China. And that seems to me to be what's about to happen with Ping An. So there you've got a very large domestic institution starting to promote its expertise to the international market. I think those strategies are initially only available to, or they're only promoting them to institutional investors, but, you know, watch this space. That's right. And yeah, the other thing you've, you've got coming up is the Ant float, don't you? Uh, which is the world's biggest money, I think the world's biggest money transmission uh, operation. And that's, people are saying that's going to rival Aramco in the size of the size of its float. So the common theme is that the might of China is growing very rapidly indeed. Don't we also have some, some movement, Frank, in, uh, in the chase for fund manager talent? Uh, Matthews Asia lost quite a lot of Chinese, Chinese equity talent, didn't it, recently? Uh, Tiffany Xiao, I forget yeah. where she went. Maybe someone someone can help me. Uh, but there's 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 a lot of talent 
in China itself. You know, it's not or in the region. It's very difficult to, to manage money when you're far away from China. Some some do successfully, but uh, as um, as managers have found out, it's it's not as easy as it might might otherwise be. I mean, what, what's interesting about the resilience of Chinese equities is that despite the trade war rhetoric, they've they've been outperforming handsomely. You know, and 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 they have been for for the whole year. Uh, and let's and let's see if that continues. So maybe the Ping An and Co launching uh, usage vehicles is just another chip on the table of the the negotiations. Yes, I get the impression, and I've spoken to a few Chinese managers coincidentally in the last couple of weeks. Is uh, you know bring the trade war on. We are very confident. If you bar, uh, if you don't give us access to technology, we'll just build it ourselves. We've got you know. Thousands of universities throwing out lots of tech graduates. It's not really a problem. It's legitimizing these companies. You know, they're, yeah. they're massive in their own right. They, they, they don't really need us to, to survive. They're going to take over by pure sort of brute force in terms of numbers. Well, on that note, things taking us over by force, we move swiftly on to clean energy. Uh, as I said in the introduction, it's getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, this was solar energy, but the same applies for wind as well, I'm guessing, and other forms of renewable. So, Nisha, who are, who's taking advantage of this and, and, and doing well? Yeah, quite a lot of managers, actually, because um, just looking at the Q3 numbers of the top performers um, in the European market, it was alternative energy and clean energy funds in, in the top 10 for the best performers. Um, if you just go back to... Um, well just after April after the rebound it was the gold and defensive plays and tech stocks which were really at the forefront and the best performers um, going into Q2 but Q3 has just been a massive change in that ecology and alternative energy funds have come to the fore and I think one of the reasons it's gained so much traction is um, the amount of money that's also gone into ESG funds after the rebound so just looking back at the last six months ESG it's really taken hold um, and I've just recently written an article on Q3 performance, so I don't want to give too much away, but the S&P Global Clean Energy Index is up 150% over the last three years in US dollar terms, and over the last year, 84%. But what's really, well, not surprising, but over the last six months, it's 90%. So you can see there's a lot of returns to be having clean energy. And as you mentioned before, Richard, it's driven by solar, actually. It's cheaper. Um, you know, the whole supply chain is, has become a lot cheaper um, and people are starting to gain access to this and managers are taking advantage of the margins available because now it is cheaper to produce. There's more margins to be made in, you know, the companies who are producing these. Um, so the managers I wanted to actually mention is those who have, you know, taken advantage of this clean energy and solar theme in particular. And... Um, Two managers in particular bring to mind U.S. managers who've come into the ratings this month on their debut with a AAA rating, and that's Robert Ewick and William Page of Essex Investment Management, and they manage the Essex um, Environmental Opportunities Fund, which is a clean technology fund, and they invest in infrastructure-focused um, companies with you know the growth so they're looking for growth the growth potential but also the natural resources and energy efficiency um, and I just one thing I do like about this fund is that they're signatories of the UNPRI so the principles of 
responsible investing, and which allows the organization to um, publicly demonstrate that they are actively doing something um, with responsible investment. And they do have to report their responsible investment activity annually. So they have that backup as well. So for all the ESG investors out there who are looking for this alternative um, energy source you know, for their portfolios, just having that backup of the UNPRI, that their signatories of it is you know, a plus for them. Um, but two of our stocks which have done really well, as it's not surprising, it's a solar, solar energy. Vivent Solar, which they have 4.8%. Um, they're actually residential in the US um, for the residential market for solar panel design and installation. And another is Hanan Armstrong, which they hold at 5.2%. And they also look at sustainable infrastructure markets and also solar energy efficiency, etc. Now, Excellent. Yeah, so they're only available in the US, um, but yeah, they're doing okay. very well. This, well, is, I, this isn't Essex Towie. This is uh, Essex. No, it is not. Boston, yeah. Massachusetts. I think that might be lost on much of our European audience, Frank. Yeah. I thought the only way is Essex is a global brand. Well, just like Susie, you are, really. If I can, uh, <laughs> I've got a, pers- a bit of personal experience here, not with Towie, I hasten to add. But a month ago, I thought clean energy sounds good. And uh, two things happened. One, I bought an ETF, which I've never done before. The, cle- the iShares Clean Energy easier and two i got it right because yes. the issue has gone up 20 25 percent in a month which is absolutely Perfect. nuts but you know you it's investing in 30 companies uh and you know it's, it's all in there like investors wind systems in in denmark is, is like seems to be in everybody's clean energy portfolio along with the other ones that you suggest so yeah i mean don't take this as guidance, listeners. <laughs> I, my, my miss record is far, is far longer than my hit record. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, 25%, what's yeah. not to like? So Absolutely. I just don't want to forget about the European audience. There is just one manager. I just love the name. The name of the fund just struck me. It's called CB Save Earth Fund. And it's run by Carl, Carl Bernadot of CB Fonda. It's a Lux domicile fund, so it's available to European audiences. And it's a clean tech, again, um, fund, um, but also investing in wind energy as well as solar energy. And again, a UNPRI signatory. So that's another A-rated manager, you know, if European audience want access to this market. Did anyone else? In- Sorry, you go, Angus. Well, I was going to say, I'm interested, Nisha, that you, that's twice you've mentioned the UNPRI. And uh, uh, that, to me, plays into a theme that we've been hearing about a lot, that actually talk about ESG and sustainability starts to become uh, almost irrelevant when everybody has to be sustainable. Everybody has to be signatories to these types of uh, accords. So, so we're, we're, we're well into that trend, I think, of, ESG not beginning a separate thing. It's just embedded in what everybody's doing. Um, yeah. But somebody I, said, sorry, Nisha, go on. Yeah, I just think um, with the PRI, um, just recently in the news, Citywide Select so did report that they're, they're very quite, they're stringent in their reporting and what you're required to report. They have kicked out companies um, or signatories out of the list or, you know, not to use their um, badge, as it were, anymore because they're not, you know, doing the tick box, not the tick box exercise, but not um, Mm. doing what they should be doing. So I think at the moment, this is the only audited process that you can have, you have with ESG funds. Um, So 
it's a small start, but I think if you are a signatory, you know, you do have to adhere to quite a lot of rules than you would do with any other kind of, say, taxonomy or regulation. So I think, you know, if you are at this stage of what, where we are in the ESG world, a signatory, you know, you, you are publicly seen as doing a bit more. And we've just seen, you know, they are stringent and they will kick out, you know, people, you know, mm. well, funds out of the list. The other thing that uh, came to my mind, a senior uh, asset management executive I was talking to this week said, and this, this goes to the clean energy um, story, I think. Uh, this person said to me that uh, the US pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords in some ways had been a catalyst for uh, that sector to actually grow and gain more attention because it had, it had actually really focused everybody else's minds. All the other countries involved had said, do you know what? This is something we actually need to accelerate on. So in a way, the negative act of the US president had a positive effect on the sector. Now, I don't yeah, know whether that's yeah. measurable or true or not, but it's an interesting idea. No, yeah. true. Well, um, also with Joe Biden, if he is elected, um, now he wants power generation, well, solar power generation up you know, 100% and renewable by 2030. So compare that to um, uh, Trump's, you know, the USA could install about 40 gigawatts per year with Trump, but 80 gigawatts with Biden. So you've got, I mean, in either case, you know, solar is going to win, you know, renewable energy is going to go up. So it's still, you know, a viable investment source. But um, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see which one, you know, if it'll be double well, the power or not. Yeah, after last, after last uh, time's debacle where we all thought Hillary Clinton would win, let's say nothing. <laughs> we're, not, we're paid to look back at past performance, not future political events. Thank goodness. Uh, listen, that's great. Thank you, Nisha. Thank you, Frank. Uh, thank you, Angus. I think that's been uh, really interesting. I managed to guess in a bit about my own personal investment. So, as did Frank with his pension, uh, his pension hits. Well done there. Uh, and thank you. We'll see and listen and hear from everybody in a fortnight. And from me, goodbye.